Hello, and welcome to episode three of Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. I'm your host, Lynn Franks, and today I am really thrilled to be talking to my friend, singer, songwriter, and harpist, Hattie Webb. Hattie's been playing music with her sister Charlie since they were children, and the Webb sisters were chosen by Leonard Cohen to join his last five-year international tour, performing over 400 concerts around the world to five million people. Hattie's also collaborated with Sting, recorded with the Lumineers, and toured with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Of course, she's an extraordinary and amazing musician in her own right. She released her first solo album, To the Bone, in 2017, and she's now currently finishing off her second solo album, Wild Medicine, due out in a few months. She joined me for this very special conversation where we discussed her experiences as a woman in the rock and roll industry, her work as an ambassador with the organization AAFDA, Advocacy After Fatal Domestic Abuse, her songs and being on the road with Leonard Cohen, and she even sang me a couple of her songs live, which I can't wait to share. This week, I am so excited to be with my very good friend, Hattie Webb, singer, songwriter, and harpist. Talented, brilliant, and a spokesperson for women and men all over the world. So welcome, Hattie. Thank you so much, Lynn. Wonderful to be here with you. And we're going to be hearing some of your music, your new album, Wild Medicine. We're going to be listening to some reminiscing from the times with Leonard Cohen, of course, who you were on tour with for five years with your sister, Charlie, and some of your other experiences as a woman in the rock and roll business. Not all fun and games by any means. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. How are you? You literally landed back from lockdown in Italy yesterday night or tonight, this morning, haven't you? Last night, yeah. Well, technically this morning, but yeah, I got home yesterday evening. It was a trip coming through a deserted airport. Very bizarre. How long have you been in Italy? Five months. Oh, yeah. So welcome back. It's lovely to be back, actually. Yeah. Missed it. Well, we missed you, but I didn't feel that you were far away. That's the wonder of everything, isn't it? Now that we're online all the time, we could be around the corner. And I was watching um, different posts that you were doing from Italy. I mean, you did some amazing things there. It was your partner, Andrea, beautiful Andrea, who the double, what is it? A double bass. No, it's the big double one. Double bass. There you go. Yeah. You're yeah, right. Because you and Andrea played here at the Seed Hub just over a year, well, obviously pre-lockdown, just over a year ago, to the most wonderful evening ever here that people are still talking about, where um, we had a full crowd in the Sea Cafe and the music was just incredible. And um, I know that you and Andrea have been playing with other musicians where you've all been in different locations and and recording together from different places all over Europe, haven't you? Yes, that's right, with a, a new software called Aloha by elk and you can be up to 2000 miles away you can record and play at the same time so there's no latency when you have a slight delay it makes it really difficult to play together 
but we were able to play at the same time. Yeah, we had such a great time at the Sea Cafe and staying with you. It's such a beautiful space and wonderful bed. That bed, so comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, it was wonderful. And then you came back again with Andrea's full group that he plays. I mean, how would you describe the music they do before we talk about the music you do? They're called Alphabeto Runico and there are two guys who play double bass and one woman who plays violin, viola and sings. It's very dramatic. It's orchestral, but it's a trio. And then they sing in harmony. They're absolutely incredible. So check them out, anyone. They're called Alphabeto Runico. Hopefully they'll be back here. But let's move on to you and you're a fantastic yeah. talent and your story <laughs> and your journey. So I know we talked once because we were talking about my granddaughter and you who's singing now and you were saying how you and uh, both of you and Andrea actually had started music college at a very young age and mm. it's what you always wanted to do. Do you want to sort of talk through your whole life? Over to you. Yeah, I wanted to play the harp when I was four. I think I must have heard it on the radio or heard it somewhere in the kitchen mum would have the radio on and dad played a lot of vinyls and I just really connected with the sound I wasn't a girly girl actually I liked my trainers my jeans my cape just the average normal stuff and then I heard this instrument and I just loved it and I felt it was a very dynamic powerful instrument not just gentle or feminine and so I've just loved the whole journey playing the harp, learning with Danielle Perrett and my journey with music. Yeah. And your siblings are all musicians as well, which is pretty special. Yeah. yeah, I'm in a band with my sister, Charlie, called the Web Sisters. And Charlie's just such an incredible artist, musician, person, creator. So to collaborate from a young age with another powerhouse was brilliant you know because if you're if you're working in collaboration it makes you evolve you can't stay in one place which is challenging sometimes but we all know as creators that you do need energy and you do need movement forward to not just stay in your comfort zone and so before you ever toured with with Leonard Cohen which we're talking going to talk about in a minute you and Charlie were playing your own music that you'd written. She's She plays guitar when you're on harp and the sound of you two together is is truly magical as well. I remember when we first met in Mallorca, um, your dad, Graham, the extraordinary Graham Webb, sort of <laughs> sent you to me to have a rest because you'd been on tour with Leonard for almost five years then and I'd got that beautiful mm-hmm. house in Mallorca. And then Charlie came as well and the two of you played outside to... It, it, to me actually I think I was the audience yeah quite right too we sang for our supper (laughs) yeah it was just fantastic and how long ago was that so that was well when you were still touring with Leonard so eight years ago 2013 yes Yeah. yeah it was so nice because to be to come into your community after being trapped on the road for so long and moving about come into your nook in Mallorca it was really restorative and and to be swimming all together and not have to worry about clothes. 
Yeah. So it was a very feminine safe space. And, and we, we've yeah. talked about this before and we're going to talk about it tonight, what it's like being a woman on the road in a rock and roll band. Because over yeah. the years, I've talked to a, a number of women artists and we, I used to do PR for Annie Lennox, who was a friend who also lived in New York at that point. And she used to say how diff she found it very difficult touring with lots of men. And I think for, for most women artists for many years, it was very difficult Depends, I guess, if you're the main line. I'm sure if Madonna's touring with her crew, she doesn't find any problems being a woman. Uh, mm. And I suppose some of the artists today, like Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift or some of the others who are so powerful and, and, and such lots of money can control it all. But for I think, from what I gather from you and from other uh, women artists, it's actually quite challenging being on the road, isn't it? And it's really challenging. It's it's incredible the community that you have on the road because it does become like a family with the good sides and the challenging sides. And there are, of course, always wonderful men on the road. And there are also men who perhaps have ulterior motives. And when you're really focused like I am or my sister Charlie is, you really want to go out on that stage and do your best that you can possibly do and give the right kind of support to Leonard vocally, creatively, energetically. And that takes a lot of preparation, um, a lot of rituals actually, preparing your voice, tuning up, warming up, and then also being in that psychic space that you're ready to create. And it does take a lot. So when there are challenging dynamics on the road it for me I found it quite difficult to manage um I didn't have the tools when I joined Leonard's band when I was 26 to look after myself as a woman I think that that's something that does come 30 and beyond for a lot of people there are lots of people who are very grounded and capable at younger ages like your granddaughter Lynn but for me, I was a late developer and I really had to cultivate that sense of ground, that sense of feminine strength. And it takes a lot of nurturing for me, in my experience. I think you can be a very strong woman and yet you're still vulnerable because to be creativity, to, to be creative and be in that creative space takes vulnerability. So it's that that dichotomy of how to be strong in the face of a tornado and yet be sensitive enough to connect with it. Yes. And I know that Leonard was always very protective when you engaged him in what was going on. And of course, yeah. there were several occasions when you tried not, well, mostly you wouldn't try not to engage him into it because he yeah. was carrying the energy for the whole yeah. um, tour. But yeah. when, of course, when he knew of anything going on, he would always immediately be very protective and uh, mm -hmm. uh, and has always supported you as an artist with, in wonderful ways. And yeah. in fact, we can see peeking behind you the harp that he gave you, which you're going to be playing for us later, which I'm so excited about. Um, yeah. And I, I've never met Lena Cohn, but I have to say I am a huge fan, absolutely yeah. obsessive fan. And uh, felt... <laughs> <laughs> no. When I went to see him with you and Charlie as his backing singers when you were on at the O2 in London that time, which was one of the last performances, wasn't it? I was just 
a so proud of you but and charlie but also just so blown away by the whole experience and i've got every record i've played a million times and i'm a total group leonard cohen groovy that uh, that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight and we are going to end on one of leonard's songs or the the leonard song which is very exciting but you've always been writing your own material throughout your whole leonard cohen and of course following leonard's the finish of the tour and leonard's very sad passing you then went on tour with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, another absolute legend. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a, a little bit? Was that different being with them? Or I know that you stay close with his band and Leonard's band. Um, yes. Was that a different experience? It was a very different experience. The music is rooted in such a different world, and that took quite a big adjustment. And when we first joined the band, when Tom asked us, Charlie and I, we were such big fans of his, as we were of Leonard's. But it was something that we'd always talked about. For example, his song Waiting Waiting for Tonight, He'd this song was with the bangles. And we'd always sung it when we were washing up or, or cooking together. We'd always sung the harmonies and loved it. So when we were asked to join, um, we got the email, it said, from Tom Petty in the subject. And I thought it was someone but it was a joke. joking around with me because I knew what a big fan I was. Um, I think the, the biggest change was going from quite a quiet onstage band where Leonard wanted to keep the sound levels really low. And he used to say, we're the quietest rock and roll band in the world. But then moving from that to having stacks of speakers and amps behind you um I actually still have tinnitus from the Tom really? Petty tour really? yeah and I you know it's these things that you have to adjust to they take time and and an experience and something I've learned is you don't know until you know so how to kind of forgive yourself that you get things wrong and perhaps you do all the preparation you can, but there's always something unexpected. And that's when, as you very well know, with your chanting practice, you have these grounding things to come back to. So you have something to fall back on versus feeling really exposed and and unsafe almost in yourself. Have you ever had that experience? Um, no. I'm very lucky that I never have. I mean, I'm yeah. uh, well, with you about my marriage, actually thinking about it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I've always been in a very sort of women's world really and I come from a long line of powerful women and yeah. having said that no I haven't at, at the same time I'm more than aware of that feeling of unsafeness how it is enormous and we when we had the terrible um story the other day of that poor girl um being murdered by the policeman and generally just generally the whole me too movement and that whole feeling of reclaiming our streets because women are unsafe on the streets um, the figures that came up from the UN, I can't remember exactly, but it was like over 90% of all women have been abused at some point. 98. 98. But it was it was 17 to 24. Oh. It was that age bracket. But um, yeah, and 87% and of homicides are women, not men. Yeah. So although no one wants to point the finger at men, we know there are great men in the world. But we do need to be aware that the statistics show us that women 
women's lives are more in danger than men's lives. They are. And if we start looking globally and we look at what's happening in Ethiopia right now and right. other African countries, it's just where rape is, is just a day-to-day -day weapon of war and yeah. um, the sexual abuse is just too horrible for words. I, I, I mean, there's so much we still have to do as women and men to stop yeah. this violence against women for all women and girls to feel safe. I'm going to ask you now to play this beautiful song live. Do you want to introduce it? And I know that you had some incredible men that worked with you on the record and yes. helped you with it. So do you want to explain about, about this song? Thank you, Lynn. Yes, this is the title track. It's called Wild Medicine. I wrote it with an Australian artist called Paul Kelly in Melbourne and Roscoe Beck, who was... Lena Cohen's musical director, he co-produced the song with me. And you're quite right, there are some incredible men in, in the music industry who are providing a, a place that they can support female artists, which is fantastic. Um, this song is really about finding your own wild medicine, wherever that may be. You know when you've had the right medicine because you feel better. It could be going on a trip or it could be meeting a friend or eating something that makes you feel good. And I think that that's something I'm learning, that if you can find your wild medicine in your life, then then your life is in a state of growing and, and evolving. This is my little harp, Harry. <laughs> Thank you. 
beautiful, yeah. just beautiful. And I love the words wild medicine. And yeah. to me, that's it just says it all. I mean, there's lots of wonderful comments being put on StreamYard. But somebody was saying their wild medicine tonight after a long week is a glass of vino. There's lots of lovely comments coming in from very beautiful men. I have to say, you've got a lot of male supporters out there really oh. enjoying what's going on. So um, wild medicine. So this is just, well, it's not just, this is the title of the album. But tell us a little bit more about the album. We're going to hear another song in a minute on video, which I just love. I've seen the video. It's so beautiful and moving. But tell us more about the album and what we can expect. And, and roughly when can we expect it? Not not for a few weeks or so, I think. Yes, I think it, it might be a couple more months finding the right place for it to come out. And the album is centred around the voice and harp and acoustic classic Celtic instruments, but it's got more of a rock undertone. And uh, I wrote two songs with Mike Campbell and Nina Baker, Mike from the Heartbreakers, and he's playing guitar on it. So it's really beautiful to hear the harp and the electric guitar weaving in together and creating that that net. And then um, just working with several musicians who really inspire me and who provided a space where I could really explore moving out into more of a rock sound. Um, it was it was an incredible experience recording mainly in Austin, Texas with Roscoe Beck and then also in California with Ron Blair and Mike Campbell. Fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Top, top, top musicians. So exciting. Yeah. Some lovely man here said you're his wild medicine, Hattie. Oh, really? Oh, dear. Yeah, I'm they, not sure in the mornings if I'm anyone's wild medicine. <laughs> you've got a lot of fans here. Well, I'm hoping that um, you're going to come down as soon as we're allowed and be performing wild medicine in total at the Seed Hub Club here in Somerset. I you know I'm there as soon uh, as I can, sister. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. It's, <laughs> it's such a privilege. So um, we also talked about the fact you've been doing a lot of interviews over the last few weeks, which is kind of funny because this is the first time you've been interviewed and I actually have watched several of them and you've been very gracious and been talking about the interviewee rather than your own work. But tell us about these interviews you've been doing on, on Instagram. They've been doing Instagram live interviews, haven't you? That's right. Yeah, it was really focused around originally the work I'm doing with AFTER and wanting to change and contribute to changing the narrative, particularly for women in the music world and also in our wider communities. And that was one of the reasons why I wrote the song Never Just Your Daughters, who I wrote with Patrick Leonard, who co-produced Leonard's last three records and wrote them with him. And he also wrote Like a Prayer with Madonna. And he'd spoken a lot to me about his work with Madonna and how he supported and facilitated her musically and creatively because she's such a powerful force. And um, I'd always been a big fan of his work. And so we decided to do some writing together and we wrote several songs, two of them are on the album. And when we wrote this song, Never Just Your Daughters, it was just around the time of Me Too. And beginning to hear other women's stories, I felt my own story reflected in them and I felt connected. 
And it's almost as if I had been not able to see for a period of time. And then as soon as I heard other women speak out bravely, I began to feel how connected we really are. So leading up to putting the video out for my song, Never Just Your Daughters, I thought I'd really love to connect with other female artists, hear about their journeys, their stories, what's challenged them, what enriches them, how do they find their their path and how do they navigate the challenges in this industry and also balancing their family life, having children. As you very well know, it's it's a real challenge for many people, men and women, so I um, reached out to a few friends. Um, I asked my sister, Charlie Webb, and Marquetta Erglava, and Beth Nielsen Chapman, Sarah Watkins, the Whitmore sisters, Sean Darling, and then also reached out to a couple of people I didn't know, um, one of them being Catherine Marks, who mixed the recent Alanis Morissette and produced, I should say, the new Alanis Morissette record in St. Vincent. and to have these conversations um, with Lucila Alamar and Michelle Grimaldi, the Whitmore sisters, it really enabled me to have a different awareness of other people's journeys. And it was really a learning curve for me. Um, and I'm so grateful that they contributed and, and took part because I'm beginning to realise that the more conversations we have, not pointing a finger or blaming anyone, but connecting, going, how can we make this better for everyone? Um, how can we dig deep? Then having these conversations is really what makes the difference, I think. It is, it is exactly what makes the difference, which is why I'm having this conversation with you and why I also agree with you that if we want to change the narrative, we yeah. must do it through connection and collaboration and and yeah. communication, really. And, of course, that's women and men together as well, although this particular mm -hmm. space is just really highlighting the extraordinary women that I'm very fortunate to have in my life. I've just come yeah. back to Sue Lloyd Roberts' book, which um, you mentioned, which I have here in the Seed Store. And um, Sue Lloyd Roberts, for those who don't know, uh, passed away um, maybe three years ago now, four years ago, was a very dear friend who was top BBC reporter who would not only go to the most dangerous places in the world, but she would actually be an activist for the horrors and human rights issues that she found there. She was the most extraordinary woman ever. And when she wasn't out there going in different war zones with forged passports and pretending she was a missionary or goodness knows what else, she'd be very ladylike running a hotel back in Mallorca with her husband, Nick. I just wanted to, I just wanted to really acknowledge Sue Lloyd Roberts because yes. she, um, she's sadly missed and she is an extraordinary woman. So thank you for bringing her up yes. here. Um, but that is what she believed. And that is what we all believe is by connecting and communication. So have you got any more of those conversations still coming out on Instagram that we can just tell people about? Have you, have you got more to come? I, I might now? do. I'm still figuring out the next steps, but I, I'm also just carrying on having these conversations with my friends hmm. and where I felt maybe a little bit insecure previously to say to someone, I found this challenging. What, what do you do in this scenario? I'm, I'm starting to have more of those conversations and yeah. saying, I want to navigate this situation. What's, what do you think? Yeah. Um, and I'd love to ask you, Lynn, actually, 
when you started to be a woman in an industry that hasn't always been male dominated, there's a huge female presence, but to be an industry in such a powerful way, which you have been, what you was the experience? Or, or PR or? PR. Yeah. Um, when you started out, did you purposefully build a team with women in, involved? Were you aware of that from, from when you started? No, no. I mean, I was primarily in the fashion industry and that was a very feminine industry to be in. And when I started my PR business in 1970, classically, the advertising agencies where all the money was, was were run by men. And PR was such a new industry that they were like very dismissive of it and they let the women get on with it. So that's how it sort of started. And PR is about communication and relationship building. And women on the whole do find that a lot easier than men. And so Mm -hmm. even the male run agencies or male owned agencies were actually run by women. And, And you look at any PR agency, most of the people working there are women because it's about relationships always. As we come out of this extraordinary COVID lockdown globally, where the whole world out of the blue came to a halt, we can vision a new future. We can create a new beginning that by staying in touch with each other and by changing the narrative. And the songwriters, Mm. such as yourself, are the poets. You are the seers, you know, in biblical terms. No, it was the, the prophets I see now as the, as the songwriters. And that's where it's at. And in fact, there's a wonderful quote from Leonard Cohen about you saying, calling you a pilgrim, deeply committed and highly trained on your own path to perfection. It's quite something coming from a perfectionist like him. A beautiful, beautiful quote. Yeah. You also referred to your original first solo album, To the Bone, as flawless, uplifting and utterly original. So what was it like working with him for five years and being on the road? I mean, of course, he's on such a pedestal for so many of us. And you were in such a close, you and Charlie were in such a close situation with him um, and with the other backing singer and the band. So what was he? I'm, I imagine he was always wonderful. I'm sure he, he was incredible. Yeah. He was really funny. And I sometimes talk about him. He is because I still feel him very present for all of us. I think he really was a muse to many people in their lives. And he had this connection, this channel to the truth and to honesty for people struggling with, be it mental illness, be it challenges in life, negotiating the difficulties that we all face. He had this incredible empathy and care. He was very aware of everyone, all the crew, all the band, He was very connected. I think he knew and I learned a lot that it takes every single person on a crew and involved to make the show happen. And I loved that, that he honoured each person and acknowledged them. Sometimes before we do sound check, he'd put some bergamot oil on our wrists and there'd be a few of us and he'd, he'd always really soak your wrists. So it's really really, really dripping in the bergamot oil, which was lovely. And then I sometimes would put a bit on my third eye or on my throat or just he would create a sensory experience for you, collaborating with him, whoever you were in his world. 
and and that was such a thing to witness also he was very helpful and kind to me when I had some time struggling on the road I had some anxiety on stage which didn't happen at the beginning of the tour it was about three years in and now looking back I recognized that I was strengthening my root my grounding which I know you Lynn have a very deep connection with your root but for me I was a little bit up there somewhere so I really had to strengthen that muscle and one day I got on the plane and he was sat in the exit row where he always liked to sit and there was a area in the footwell and I just slumped down in the footwell and I looked at him and he looked at me and he went he nodded as if he knew what I was thinking and he said you know darling when a triangle reaches up it has to widen its base Otherwise, it falls over. And that really struck me. And he would... He was a Buddhist for so many years and practicing Buddhist. Yeah. And you've you've extended since I've known you and you've always been very spiritual, but I can see that side of yourself has really become more and more important and essential to who you are as a woman and as an artist. Yes, I think so. And... I think learning from other women like you and Karen and women in the musical community, my sister Charlie, my mum Mandy, my granny Angela, I think it's one of the beautiful things of getting older to witness and learn and develop that relationship within yourself of looking out for yourself more. Mm. So uh, this is the point before your last song that I was going to ask if there are any questions, there's lots and lots of yeah. comments and wonderful things. And there is a question, and guess who it's from? It's from your dad. Hey, <laughs> Mr. G Dubs. He said that well, he's Graham Webb, wonderful Graham Webb, and Hattie's dad, who introduced us in the first place, said you've got some very amusing stories about Leonard Hattie. Can you share one or two of those? Yes. Um, gosh, so many. Well. When we would pull up to a new city, we'd we'd land on the plane, we'd go on the bus, we'd arrive and then get settled in our hotel. And sometimes we'd meet for a drink in the evening or sit and do some meditation. And one evening, we no one could find Leonard. And it turned out that he had gone to McDonald's to buy his favourite fillet of fish. He loved the fillet of fish. Um, so that's where he was. He was at Mackie D's. How funny. He was at the Golden Arches. You wouldn't think so. You'd think he'd be eating a bowl of brown rice somewhere with some veggies and being very cosmic. <laughs> he, he didn't eat a lot sometimes on the road. And Charlie, Sharon and I, being nurturers, we were aware of, what he was eating and then he had a lovely assistant called Kesban came who came on the road and all of the wonderful wardrobe people really helped support as well in that department yeah yeah very special crew so this is our chance before we come to the last song what what next so I mean I was actually before I go to that I've got some more questions so We've talked about Wild Medicine. We've talked about it coming out probably later in this late spring. I, I, I guess the fe- closure of so many festivals means that perhaps you haven't got the opportunity to be out there as much as uh, as you would have been normally. 
But mm. what what are your plans apart from getting the album out? Where where is your vision? Where are you going? Do you, do you know? Do any of us know where we're going? I I'm not always sure where I'm going, and I I have the uh, hold the vision, trust the process written on my wall over here. I think one of the main things for me would be to get the album out and that's why I've done these eight weeks I've done eight Mondays in a row of releasing material or having interviews or playing some live songs from the album just to lay some foundations and connect with people before I look to put the album out and then Andrea Resche um, who you mentioned earlier um, we've written and recorded several songs together so I'd love to get some of that out yes and uh, then my sister and I Charlie we have done some vocals for an artist called Wesley who's in the Lumineers and his producer Simon Felice we're going to be singing some backgrounds on his new album so there's lots of things in the works I think when I think about my life as a pie I want to continue to focus on having a portion that's creative, a portion with friends and family, a portion with supporting others and holding space in some way, in whatever way people would like me to hold space, um, particularly with Frank Mullane um, at AFTA and the people there too. And then time also for learning new things. I'm, I'm thinking about perhaps I might go back to university at some point. I never went to university, so that's something I'd really like to do. I always fantasised about going back to university, but I, I don't think we've got time, lot. No, that's the problem. What would you <laughs> study, Lynn? I leave me and go to university, and I keep telling her, stay in the real world. No, Hattie, I don't think you and I have got time to go to university. <laughs> what would you study, Lynn? Oh, I'd love to study philosophy, actually. And... Um, oh. And possibly a bit of anthropology. Oh, I can't even say it. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Philosophy, really, I think, would be for me. And some of the ancient writings and ancient um, history. I don't know. There's so many things that interest me, actually. Now you've asked me. I haven't thought about it. I'm going to start yeah. thinking about it. And maybe that's what I'm supposed to do is go back to university. Anyway, we've got lovely comment here from Frank Mullen who says, um, this interview is so authentic. It's a real joy to witness. Thank you to me for being a fine interviewer and for you, Hattie, for being an honest interviewee. So that's a real compliment. So thank you, Frank, for those words. And um, I think we're coming up to that very special moment, very special moment for me. I said to, to, Hatt, to Hattie earlier that I must mute myself because otherwise I'll end up singing along with her. And I know we'll all be singing along to this particular mm -hmm. song at home, but I would advise myself not to be singing along with I would like you to sing no, along I, I will be singing along but I will not be putting it out for other people <laughs> you're singing it so beautifully so it is a thrill an absolute thrill that you are now going to be singing this song this particular song live here on this show and you're going to be playing the wonderful harp that Leonard gave you and mm -hmm. I'm, you know my favorite song ever Hallelujah. How can I be it? Oh, I feel crying even saying it. <laughs> so.
secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care for music do you well it goes like this the fourth, the fifth the minor fall the major lift the barefoot king composing hallelujah 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 hallelujah
Such a beautiful way to end. Such a beautiful conversation with such a beautiful woman. Thank you so much, everybody. I know everybody's writing her. <laughs> I've got to get off because I'm just going to cry my eyes out. It's so moving. And as somebody wrote down here, we really need this right now. We all need this right now. That was so beautiful, Hattie. And I think the uniqueness of your creativity, your artistry, with your voice speaking out for the causes you believe in particularly about violence against women and girls is so crucial. And as we go forward into the new future, the new world, I know that uh, you have a big, big job ahead of you. And I'm with you every step of the way. Love you lots. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lynn. And thank you for everything you do because you're a leader and I look up to you and learn from you. Thank you. I thought in this very special episode, we would take the theme of Hattie's new album, Wild Medicine, for our exercise, for our unique seed exercise. For every one of us, our wild medicine is very different. It could be being in nature. It could be intimacy with a lover, cooking yourself a healing, delicious meal, or writing a poem, or any of the above. 
my wild medicine is definitely all of these. But mostly, I think it's in nature. When I see the sea and the mountains, that comes up to me as number one. So what's your wild medicine? I do hope you've enjoyed this podcast and listening to my conversation with Hattie Webb as much as I enjoyed having it. I'd love you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and rate, review and do share. Also, make sure you join our Seed Network if you haven't already. And together with thousands of like-minded women, make new friends, promote your businesses and share your stories. You can find out more at www.seednetwork.com and sign up there. Until then, I really look forward to seeing you again on Frankly Speaking within Franks and Friends. Bye.